welcome to Ascend Sessions. And in this episode, we'll be delving into the tech, software, and VC world to uncover realities that are faced by women and diverse professionals in these spheres. I'm so excited to be joined by the amazing Amy Calacarinos, founder of Accolade. Amy and the team at Accolade work with VCs and hedge funds to help their portfolio companies to operate and build their companies faster. Don't get it twisted with consultants, advisors, or even board members who raise money on behalf of startups. Amy's main goal is to move the needle for the founder. Amy will be sharing her experiences and firsthand insight of working in technology, software, and the VC world, and uncover some really interesting perspectives when we mean diversity and inclusion. There's a lot of knowledge and awareness of the male-dominated industries and the challenges they present. However, after connecting with Amy, I was in awe of something highlighted to me and shocked that this wasn't really on top of the diversity agenda, and that is second-generation gender bias. I'm so excited to discuss the role and the impact of language, but we'll get into that in a bit. Um, so I guess just to start off with, hey, me, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Perfect. I'm so happy to have you join us and obviously share um, your insight and expertise with our listeners. Um, and as highlighted, I connected with Amy, obviously, in regards to the podcast and discussing, obviously, her insight, expertise and experience. And that's when she obviously started talking about um, second, gen second generation gender bias, which was something that I really hadn't heard of before. Um, but when we got into it, it was just so many things were coming from it. And I was just, yeah, literally, Amy, please do this on the podcast. Because um, I think <laughs> it really highlights some, it highlights a second layer of unconscious bias um, on gender bias, which I think is quite interesting um, to uncover the intersectionality, the multiple layers when it comes to bias, discrimination, and so forth. Um, so I guess we'll lead into that, as I said. Um, it's just a topic that I'm really excited about. But I guess taking a step back, let's lay a foundation for our listeners, Amy, just to understand, you know, your experiences, your understanding of when you first entered, I guess, um, and started working within the tech industry and sort of what were your initial experiences, hopes and desires, obviously moving into this industry? Sure. So I started my career on Wall Street at the age of 22, selling software to financial firms, which was unusual at the time. There weren't many women that were selling software to begin with. And then women that were selling software on Wall Street seemed to be even less. And coming into that environment, I was ultimately hired, managed, and trained by men. And I was doing everything that I was taught, and I was making my number, and I was being successful as far as my quota, but I still would receive a lot of negative feedback, um, specifically in my performance reviews. And I really, you know, couldn't figure out, you know, if I'm making my number and my, my customers like me, and I felt like my team to a certain degree liked me, then why was I receiving such negative feedback? And it 
you know, I'm the type of person where I have to dig and dig and dig until I figure it out. And eventually I came across this term that kind of was my aha moment. And that was second generation gender bias. And it's something that I find and still find, even though I've been uh, talking about this for years now, that, that people are really not aware of, including women. And, you know, most people, when they think of, you know, um, discrimination against women, they think of gender bias. And gender bias is the common term that's known. It's where, you know, women are left out and it's kind of an obvious o- or overt action. But second generation gender bias is much more clever and it uses language to discriminate against women for not falling within preconceived gender norms. So um, although second generation gender bias kind of more hits home to women, it also is inclusive of anyone that doesn't fit their preconceived gender norms. So that can be transgender, that can be bisexual, it can be a, a few. It's, it doesn't just affect um, women. And once I found this, I really started honing in on, um, you know, how this was affecting me and trying to start figuring out almost how to get around it, you know, realizing that there was no one really around me at the time to explain this is what was happening. Um, I kind of had to figure it out for myself. Yeah, that um, that makes complete sense. And I think I have a question, I guess, if we can take, um, I guess, the story just back a bit, because, you know, when you were highlighting, obviously, you were hitting your numbers, you were achieving what was needed of you, you know, you were doing what what, what you were hired for and like going above and beyond. But as you highlighted, you were still getting sort of um, negativity and negative feedback um, in your reviews, for example. So I think it would be good to hear Amy um, and share with our listeners sort of how how do those two worlds come together because you know we might have some listeners that are like but we're in a meritocracy you know it's just hard work putting your head down and then you get the results and the successes but obviously with your experience you were doing that but you were still receiving that sort of negative feedback so what what did that entail like how did those two experiences where you knew you were doing what what was needed, but you're still not getting the merit or the recognition and negative association. What, like, how, how did that happen? If that makes sense? Sure. So it's one of those things where women, if we fall into our preconceived gender norms, we are passive, we are helpful, we smile, right? We, we've all heard, I think most women have all heard the, you know, you should really smile more type of uh, comment. Yep. commentary. Yep. <laughs> and when you're selling software and you're selling software on Wall Street, you know, just smiling and kind of being passive is never going to work if you're ever going to make your number. Um, Wall Street is a very aggressive environment. And in order to get people to pay attention to you, you've got to be a bit aggressive and you've, you've got to sell it against your peers. Um, most of mine, which were, you know, men. So I would be selling against, you know, men that worked for Oracle, men that worked for Microsoft, um, men that worked for HP. And so what ends up happening is, you know, you become aggressive and, um, you become tenacious and all these things that are required in order to make your number. But the problem with that is, is women are not supposed to act in that fashion, right? And that's, that's not the way that we were, quote unquote, 
you know, raised and, and how a lady should be. So there is still that like almost old school Victorian mentality that we have um, amongst our, our cultural norms um, that very much show themselves in the workplace. And so, you know, I was getting this feedback and I, I initially really couldn't understand it because I would look around at the other guys around me and I'd say, well, I'm doing exactly what they're doing. Um, in fact, I even started dressing like them because I wanted so badly to fit in. And I was wearing like an all black pantsuit. I would wear loafers. My hair would be pulled back. I wouldn't wear any makeup. Um, I'd talk about sports. You know, I'd try to like go to drinks with the guys. And so I was, you know, it, it took a long time to figure this out. This wasn't like a, a couple year situation. This was like a, a seven, eight, nine year situation. And, um, you know, when I finally found it, it, it all kind of started making sense. And unfortunately, even though I found the term, again, there was no one to tell me like, okay, this is how you handle it, or this is what you do with it, right? Or yes, I'm going to validate that this is actually happening to you, right? And, um, and so that's when I started kind of figuring out those things for myself. And it's, it's something that I've continuously talked about um, you know, I, I first talked about it, um, to an audience in, in a real way at, at Grace Hopper, um, last year. And the response was, um, phenomenal and overwhelming because women were like, oh my God, I've never heard of this before. And yes, this is totally happening to me. And I, I find that it's prevalent for women, um, and for those that, you know, don't follow, you know, their typical gender norm, especially in kind of the tech um, world or, or the finance world or any, any kind of industry that is really very male dominated. Yeah, absolutely. And just um, firstly, obviously, thank you for sharing your experiences. And obviously, um, as you've said, it was a, a, a long journey within your career, obviously, to first of all, obviously, identify and understand what you were doing. Um, and then obviously, trying to trying to figure out um you could say like an escape plan of this trap you've fallen into because as you said like you've you came across the word but there wasn't really um practical advice or a roadmap or the five steps to tackle second gen second generation gender bias because obviously even I didn't know about it and I'm working obviously within the DNI space so I think it's something that a lot of people have encountered, but not necessarily having that um, tagline and that the naming of it, which then from the naming, we're able to come up with solutions as well. Um, but before we get into the solutions, obviously, because we're here discussing um, about the second generation gender bias, when, when you, um, I guess going back to your narrative, when you identified what was happening, you know, second generation gender bias, you were not falling into the stereotypical gender norms of being a woman in the industry and so forth. Did you, in your career, did you see other women doing the same? So there's two parts to this question, apologies. So did you see other women doing the same, you know, if they came into your specific organization or, you know, you were mentoring someone, for example, did you see like similar actions that you did when obviously you first entered the industry? Um, and then the second question, I'll actually hold back and ask you after you've answered. I've realized it's quite a loaded one, so I'll break it up. Sure. So 
again, there weren't many women. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of examples of looking around at other women and seeing kind of what they were doing. Um, I very clearly remember a very long time ago, uh, Morgan Stanley was one of my clients and um, I really enjoyed working with them. And I was standing with, you know, a lot of the kind of male tech team that was in Morgan Stanley and, you know, they were my client at the time. And I remember them commenting when a woman walked through the door of the office and she was wearing an all pink, you know, suit and it was a skirt and jacket. And I remember the guys commenting on, you know, oh, it's the Xerox rep. And obviously she was there selling uh, Xerox, you know, products and services. But the, you know, the way that they said it was kind of like, oh, like she's back again. Like, it's almost like they didn't, um, they didn't totally respect that she played the, the, the gender norm that she was supposed to. And so that's, that's where you learn very quickly that you, you can't win, right? So if you, if you play the, into the gender norm that you're supposed to be and, and you're very, you could say, girly, and you smile and you're passive, you know, they don't respect you from a knowledge of technology perspective. They don't look at you as an expert. They don't look at you as someone that they're going to go to uh, to glean insight from. Right. And so that's, you know, that was the other thing that I saw. I was like, well, you know what, I'd rather have them maybe think I'm, you know, too aggressive or a little over the top mm -hmm. than, you know, not respect my opinion when it came to technology or not think that, you know, I was giving them, you know, solid information. And um, so, so, you know, it didn't, it didn't really matter <laughs> for women which side of the coin you, you kind of played, um, there was going to be negative effects either way. And, you know, it wasn't just the men, you know, I don't want to like harp on the men here because, you know, because this language became so normal, um, the language that was used to describe women, that is ultimately, you know, terms that, that people use that are second generation gender biased terms. It, you know, it, it's something that, that women started to use because these, this language became so, so mainstream that even women would use it to describe themselves or other women. So it was so commonplace. And I think that's why second generation gender bias has kind of slipped through the cracks and, you know, no one's really kind of, you know, peeled back the onion on it and said, this is what it really is. And this is how it really affects you. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think you've just highlighted a really good point that it's not you know, for any male listeners that we still have now, um, it's not like just males, they're all responsible, you know. When we are talking about diversity and inclusion and advancing women within said, said space, um, you know, women still play a part in, the downfall is a very extreme word, still still play a role in the biases, that, um, you know, the stereotypes and so forth. And as you've highlighted, like the second generation gender bias is so is so not obvious it's so not in your face um that you know certain words are just associated with certain behaviors or activities or genders for example um 
So it's it was interesting that you provided that example. And I was thinking like Legally Blonde when you spoke about the uh, pink suit. Um, and then obviously like the other side is your example where you were, you know, trying to fit in with the males, but then you were still getting the negative feedback. So it, it really is not a win-win situation for females, um, unfortunately. Um, but one thing that the other part of the question, I guess, is more, I guess, fast forwarding to the knowledge and understanding that we have in regards to gender 2020, I guess, um, with second generation gender bias, excuse me, um, what, what are your thoughts in regards to that and those professionals who don't already fall into the norm? So, for example, you know, if we are talking about trans women for example yes you know their their forms and the law and everything they might be identified um, be seen as male but they see themselves as a trans um, female and then when you add the level of second generation gender bias what are your thoughts on that interaction so you know the idea that I'm already I'm I don't already fit in the gender norm but then when I come into a space where the second time I'm not fitting into what is expected of me, like what are your, I guess, understandings, experiences, obviously knowing what second generation gender bias entails? That is a loaded question. I now realize that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a tough question because obviously uh, I'm not transgender, so I can't speak from direct experience. So I just, I'll caveat, you know, that with what I'm about to say, regardless of whether you're transgender or, or you've got different sexual or dressing preferences, or you're a woman, you know, the real takeaway from all of this is that you kind of have to use your language in a way that helps promote yourself Mm. and make sure to leave out the language that is generally used against you. And again, sometimes you you may not even realize that the language that's used is being used against you and you may even use it yourself. And so it's really one of those things where if you find yourself in a situation where someone across from you is using one of these negative terms, either to describe you or to describe something you've done at work or a project or whatever it may be, Mm. my advice has always been to kind of what I call flip the script. And you take the negative term that they've used to describe you and you change it out for the more positive version. And, you know, some people won't notice it. And there are other people that you can see that they kind of stop and think. And, that's really what we want. I think, you know, if you are combative, it kind of makes things worse. Um, and obviously, you know, sometimes then, you know, retaliation happens and, you know, there's things of that nature that can take place, but it's a way, you know, to use your language the way that they're using language to remind people that that term is not the appropriate term Mm. or, the language that you're using does not describe me accurately. And so that's kind of my advice for, for all, regardless of, of, you know, your, your preferences or background. It's anybody that receives 
kind of second generation gender bias and is, is being discriminated against for not falling into that preconceived gender norm. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to fight language with language, right? And, you know, it sucks that it's on us to help people relearn that. Um, but, you know, if the others that are, that are doing this are not affected and they don't totally understand it and it's, it's hard for them to be empathetic to it, when it is on us to kind of reteach that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when it comes to this and the wider conversation of DNI in the workplace or in life and society, I think it's definitely just knowing that it's like a life lifelong journey. Like there's always things to you you can never be a hundred percent knowledgeable on everything. Um so I guess I, I have another two questions, um, but I'll separate them out again. Um, so I guess it's specifically now talking um, about how to handle, react um, to second generation gender bias. So the first question is, how do you identify it? So there is kind of an, an entire language <laughs> that has been built around second generation gender bias, believe it or not. And it's almost like you just have to, to know those terms. And they're terms that are generally used to describe women in a negative way. So, you know, and these are terms that generally men won't be called. But even if men are called these, when men are called them, the, the word turns into a positive. So I'll give you an example. If a woman is called aggressive, it's seen as negative. If a man is called aggressive, it's like, oh, he's aggressive in sports. He's a good, you know, he's a good offensive player, right? It's, it's seen completely differently, right? So when you take a term and you see that it's, it's different for men and women, then you kind of know, you know, okay, that's, that's a term that's used to describe women negatively. Things like bitchy, hormonal, emotional, right? These are all terms you know, dramatic that are used to describe women in business when it's perceived as, because you're not supposed to be emotional at work. You're not supposed to be dramatic at work, right? You're not, you know, women aren't supposed to be aggressive at work. So it's all these things that we're quote unquote, not supposed to be at work. Whereas men don't get called dramatic. Men get called passionate, right? Men, men would never get called hormonal ever. And there's not even like an, an, an opposite word for that for men, at work. So you start to understand the language that's used so that when someone uses that term, so if someone says, you know, Amy, I think you're being really aggressive, right? You know, my response is generally, oh, okay. Like, you know, thanks for the feedback. Do you think I should be less tenacious? And I've changed the term from aggressive to tenacious because tenacity is viewed as a positive thing at work. Someone that has great tenacity is a real go-getter, um, you know, will do the hard work. And so you, you change, you sub that word out and you say it back to them. And again, some people won't catch what you're doing. And there's other people that will kind of sit back in their chair and go, oh, okay, I see what she did there, right? And that's, that's really how I, you know, I, I've uh, talked about this uh, via TEDx and I've done some um, workshops and classes and trainings and, and it's all about recognizing this language 
kind of memorizing some of these terms and then knowing the equal and opposite word in order to use to then, you know, change the game, essentially, change the way you're perceived, change the conversation. How, like, how do we spot it? So, like, as you said, like, even females um, and women use these words and so forth. So, like, how do we know it's happening to us or we are saying it, for example? Sure. I think it really starts with allies as well. So if you're in a meeting and maybe you're the only two women in the meeting and, you know, a negative term is used that's describing another woman, um, you know, it, it's something that it doesn't happen often, but I have had allies be like, oh, you mean you actually meant to say this, right? Or you meant to, to use a, a different term. That's not the term you really meant to use, right? And again, it'll make everybody in the room kind of stop and think. And I think when you know that there's another woman or even another individual that doesn't fall into the preconceived gender norm that's in the room, you feel in a more safe place and you feel that you have a little bit of that support in order to say that. Because I have had women say, you know, yeah, it makes sense and it's awesome that you like flip the script and change the language. But, you know, sometimes I get in those situations and I'm scared of doing it and I don't do it. And I understand that. Um, I think it's something that you, it's not something that you switch on overnight. It's something that you get comfortable with it. And then when you do it the first time, and you kind of see the reaction. And when you do it the second time, you're like, okay, like I can do this and I'm, I'm starting to get used to this. And, you know, and you can do it to, to women too. Like if a, you know, if a woman says to me, you know, she's God, she's so aggressive. I'll be like, well, you mean tenacious, mm. right? Like we don't want to call women aggressive because, you know, aggressive when you, when you tie it to a woman becomes like a negative term. And the last thing we need to do is, you know, kind of spread that. And so I think, you know, allies are, as we, as we're seeing, you know, allies are, you know, with everything that's going on um, around the world as far as, you know, rioting and, and racial tension and talking about allies, this is something where, you know, it can have allies too, you know. And I think it gives women, and again, those that don't fall into preconceived gender norms, the courage to try out this language, to reform the way the conversation is going and to you know, in a, in a way, politely correct the person across from you um, or get them to think about the term in a different way so that it's not so negative. No, absolutely. And I think um, from everything that you've just highlighted and I guess um, my, the way I'm interpreting what you've, what you've highlighted as well, and hopefully our listeners uh, um, understand it as well, it's not necessarily the word itself, but the meaning um, and the context which it, it is associated with. So obviously the example that you just gave of aggressive, it's not the word itself is bad. It's the use of it, the adoption of it, obviously when you're speaking about women, it has some negative connotations, but then on the male side, it's seen as like, yeah, he's aggressive. Yeah, let's do this. Um, so it seems like it's more the meaning um, associated with it. And my second question was, how do you then flip the script? And I think obviously you've just highlighted it and it's not, it's about, as you've said, swapping out these key words that would not have had the negative connotations with it. Um, so in addition to obviously 
learning learning the sets of words, their meanings, but also the context that they use. Is there any other advice that you can give for I love I love dual questions. Two questions just came to me, but let's do one as one again. Um, have you got specific advice for um, additional advice for women and minorities on top of flipping the script? Because um, that can be very exhausting, you know. If you you know going back to your experience that you highlighted at the top of the podcast. You know, you're hitting your target, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing what is needed of you, of your job, but still getting that negativity and, you know, you're still having to flip the script and so forth. Um, is there any any other advice or sort of um, personal perspectives that the women and the diverse professionals can elevate, you could say, um, to sort of not feel so exhaustive and constantly like challenging this second generation gender bias that's okay i think it's something that hr teams really need to be aware of and it's something that should be included in their diversity training and it's you know it, it's it's the reason why i mean you know really it's the reason why women kind of drop out of male-dominated fields right like if you look at you know if we want to if we want to peel you know, this back and look at some of the numbers, you know, at least in the U.S., I can speak from the U.S. perspective, you know, women in the U.S. are, are getting more degrees and, and graduating more from college than even the men are, right? So when you start to look at the numbers of, of individuals coming out of college, you know, the women are, are um, getting more degrees. And yet, when you look at the very top of the, you know, C-level um, and CEOs, only 5% of CEOs are women. So what's happening is it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you think about like PR, right? If you've got this like negative PR around you, your entire career, what are the chances you're ever going to make CEO or a C-level or, you know, partner or general manager or whatever it is that you, you know, dream and desire to be? It's because of this kind of negativity that surrounds us, it really holds us back in the workplace. It holds us back from, you know, getting that promotion. It holds us back from getting that raise. It holds us back from, you know, maybe um, getting an offer to, to maybe try something else, you know, at work that then we, you know, fall in love with and think, oh, this is what I really want to do. And um, I think it's something that HR teams really need to be aware of, and it needs to be something that's taught among diversity and inclusion, that the language we use really makes a difference, right? It really affects the way people perceive themselves. It really affects the way people see each other, and it ultimately affects their you know, career trajectory, right? And so it, it's much more than, you know, let's just flip the script. It's it's yes, we need to do that to teach the people around us and to help them find better terms and more positive terms to describe those that don't fall within preconceived gender norms. But companies really need to take a more active role, um, along with everything else that you know. I feel bad for HR. HR is dealing with um, these days, but it's it's something that people need to be made aware of, and people really need to watch their language because you know words are are very, very powerful. Um, we just saw, you know, in the U.S. here, um, you know, one of, you know, the women um, that represent New York, 
she was standing on the steps of uh, the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and, you know, one of her uh, colleagues literally yelled across the steps and said a few things, but then also called her a bitch. And the thing about the word bitch is bitch wasn't really popular until the 1920s. And it, it came it, it came out with the advent of the women's suffrage movement. So it really, you know, it really was just a term to describe a female dog, basically up until the 1920s. And the, the use of the term went up exponentially when women started protesting for their rights and their right to vote. And now we see it all the time, um, which is why I mention it, because this was just in the news like a month ago where she was called this by her fellow male colleague on, on the steps of, of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. And you think, God, you know, like it's 2020. Um, are male colleagues really still calling women this because they don't agree on, you know, how to move forward on, on, a, on a political issue? And so this is something that, you know, it happens every day. It happened, you know, it happened right in front of the media, which is why we heard about it. And it's something that people really need to be aware of, that companies need to be really taking ownership of and making sure that that doesn't happen in their environment. Because ultimately, you know, it affects companies as well, right? Um, not only does it create an uncomfortable work environment and they lose people and they have turnover, but then people that are potentially, you know, superstars or rock stars are choosing not to be there or they're quieting themselves because it's easier to quiet themselves than to be, you know, true to who they really are, which could be amazing, right? So it, it affects companies and people, you know, on a, on a, on a very serious scale. Yeah. And I, um, just to summarize, I think just what you said, it's a very informal way to address bias, um, like literally just flipping the word in the script. And as you've said, like some people will see or like r rather they will hear what is being done and then, you know, maybe sit back and just like, okay, I understand what I just did there versus the people who just aren't aware and like just then automatically switch the word because they weren't necessarily understanding of the negative connotations associated with said words such as aggressive um and i think the role of allies is so essential in any type of fight for equality um because obviously there are positions of power and then there are positions of no power um so i think just having that allyship across the board obviously to have support um but also have people standing up for you when maybe you, you're not able to at the time, um, such as you've highlighted. Um, so the second question, I guess, is now flipping it to the norm. Um, the perp perpetrator seems a bit too a big of a word as well. You know, I'm very conscious of the language that I'm using, but you know, for, for X person who had said, okay, oh, she's being really aggressive and then you've told me no Jordan she's been tenacious um what in that moment obviously other than just being like oh yeah absolutely what as as the person who has said the second generation gender bias what more is there for what more is there to do because we don't just want it to be continuously females and minorities to be flipping the switch like okay, as a leader, for example, of my tech company, I've seen the, um, I've seen the script flipped a few times. 
what can I do about it? That's a really big question as well. I'm so sorry. <laughs> sure. If it's something that they're interested in learning more about, they can feel free to reach out yeah. to me uh, via the website, uh, www.accolade.com or um, via either my, my LinkedIn. Um, again, it's something that I think is really people are starting to wake up to for the first time, which is, you know, I've been talking about this for a while, but it really started getting picked up last year. And so since then I've done, you know, two talks, I've done a few podcasts and I'm really starting to see people understand, you know, what a great effect this has on them and, um, and kind of allies come out of the woodwork and, um, you know, and then even, I think a big part of this is, is validation for a lot of individuals, right? Those that, you know, have known that they're perceived negatively, but can't really figure out why, you know, a lot of what I was going through, it's very hard to be in that place where, you know, you're being perceived negatively, but you don't know why you're not liked. And, um, it's, it's extremely hurtful. It'll, it'll erode your self-esteem. So, you know, for those that, um, want to learn more about this or want tools or tips or tricks, or even, you know, HR teams that, need someone to come in and, and do a training. Um, that's something that I'm extremely passionate about, obviously. And, um, you know, I do, I do regularly. So it's, um, yeah, it's something that, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see more and more people dig into this. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it, it will start, it'll really start to change. Absolutely. And I, you've literally just hit the nail on the head. I think it's, um, it's essential to, you know, have it obviously um, address it obviously through HR and the initiatives and so forth, but still obviously coming from the leaders and their, their understanding of it. And I mean, the fact that we've had this um, entire podcast sort of uncovering the lack of awareness with second generation gender bias, it's like that really needs to it needs to become more aware when we are talking about diversity and inclusion because, you know, the numbers that you were sharing of obviously like C-suite, you know, board level, executive board, like getting to the top, there is only so, uh, only, there are so only so many years that, you know, you can be doing your all, but still getting that negative feedback and without the awareness of second generation gender bias, then as you said, you will just leave the industry because it's not it's not serving you. Um, I, I still have so many questions, but um, in, in regards to time and making sure that we don't talk for three hours, which I could easily on, on, on this, um, Amy, I would just love to ask you any um, last words or parting words for our listeners um, on this topic. Um, which hopefully they've learned a lot and definitely are going to Google second generation gender bias after this. Um, but yeah, any party, parting words for our listeners? Jordan, thank you so much. This has been lovely and I appreciate you taking a uh, true interest and in, in pushing us out to your listeners. Yeah, I'm, I really hope as well that people start digging into this because we've uncovered so much and like there are so um, many layers um, to the discussion of women in the industry diversity in the industry and i think this is you could say like the missing um cog in the wheel you know we're trying to understand how to create it more how to be, create more inclusive industries but 
you know, all these initiatives and so forth, but you're still not seeing the numbers really change. Um, so obviously, as Amy said, don't hesitate to get in touch with her. I will be linking um, the website, but obviously her LinkedIn as well in the description below. So please don't hesitate to um, reach out to Amy. But just on my side, thank you so much for sharing firstly your experiences, but also your insights that you've learned over the years. And on my side, I think it's definitely something that needs to be raised. And I guess on the content side, I'm, um, I'm excited that I found a really big area now to get some more content on um, when we're talking about diversity and inclusion. So just a huge thank you um, for joining us and once again, sharing your expertise with our listeners. And everyone, as I said, don't hesitate to reach out to Amy below.